0: There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of backcountry pursuits. Welcome back to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, everyone. Brian here with you today, and Jeff Snyder once again.
1: Yeah, we've uh, met up on quite a trip here today. Uh, We decided to meet halfway between Michigan and Minnesota
0: to do a little exchange, as it were. Yes, sir. uh, We'll get into that a little bit, but we wanted to kind of preface. uh, Just for any of you who don't know, you hear Joe and I a lot on the podcast, and uh, we're recording you know most often but Jeff although a guest on the podcast is not a guest to contact outdoors it's actually Jeff Snyder and I who started this deal and continue to brainstorm back and forth about continuing to move forward so um wanted to give everyone an opportunity to hear a little more from him we're going to hopefully have Jeff on on a more consistent basis but we do find ourselves in an in, i guess a a transaction yeah. <laughs> is what you could call it today. Uh right. Jeff Well and this is I,
1: this is a plan that's been long in the making.
0: It is. It is. Jeff Jeff and I for any of you who follow me on social media or have seen some some pictures on Contact Outdoors, you know that I've got a black lab named Gage. And some years ago Jeff also picked up a female lab, Ember. Mm-hmm. And she is she uh, just turned three. Yeah, three. That's what so, I was going
1: to... So part of the purpose with that was we knew Gage was being good dog. Um, he turned out... He's what... What would you say he's turning this year? Seven? He'll be seven in April. Okay, so yep. he's coming to a point where we really need to get some stuff taken care of. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: And he's intact, uh, and em- Ember is as well. Ready to go.
1: So as Gage <laughs> developed as a pup, we started seeing he was going to be a good, strong, healthy dog. Um He's a great hunter. He's great in the field. He's got one of those personalities about him. He's very easygoing. Um, He hunts well, but as a family dog also, he's about the most laid-back lab I've ever seen. Yeah. So with those traits, we kind of were like, well, I think it might be interesting to maybe try to breed him at some point. Um, I, through some convincing with my wife Mindy, said, I think we're going to get a lab. And so (laughs) it took a little bit of convincing with her, but eventually we got a lab. Um, awesome little yellow lab. I think she sets about 65 pounds on a regular day and healthy as a horse. Um, had her checked out and everything and she's she's ready to rock. So um, it is that time of season. So we're here to pick up Gage. I'm going to bring him back to Michigan for a week and See if we can't make some puppies
0: happen. Yeah, we met uh, about halfway. It was a little longer for you than I, but it was. We're in uh, Janesville, yeah. Wisconsin, correct? Just
1: outside of Madison. Yeah, south so east of Madison. Yeah.
0: Yep. So currently we're sitting in Jeff's Silverado pickup in a Target parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And Gage is. And we're doing the transaction here in a target parking lot the mm-hmm. The deal's going down, so I'm sending gage with Jeff. He's taking him for eight days. We'll reunite with the hopes of a successful uh a successful pairing pairing breeding breeding <laughs> What a, however you want to say it between yeah. dogs, but we're new to this. This is the first the first time we've attempted this, but yeah. it, we're hoping to we're hoping to have it work out
1: yeah, I'm thinking it will. They're both really healthy. Gage, being that he's about seven, he's still in tip top shape. um, Great body structure. And I was just talking to Brian. It's been a while since I've seen him. Gage is, what'd you say for weight? He's. He's right at about 95 pounds. 95, which for a lab, that's pretty large, but he's still trim and fit. He doesn't have that gay, uh, lab gut going on. You can still see the angle in his chest and all that, so
0: yeah, that's good. That's the thing about fit and trim for when somebody says, I've got a big lab, he's about 95 pounds. Well, people say, I've got a lab, he's 115 pounds or 120 pounds, and then you see him and it's because he's... <laughs> generally (laughs) vastly obese (laughs) so generally you know labs can get big but right right um, so he's a he's a he's a good looking dude and ember i think uh she has a little bit more drive jeff and i were talking about this before we turned on the podcast here that gauge is a lot more laid back in training i had to really coax him with a reward system in training so so treats Early on, he figured out that retrieving a bumper, although fun for a certain amount of time uh he started to figure out that that was that was just practice mm-hmm. and so when he gets in the field and it's real he he turns it on yeah but when Game we're, on, yeah, but when we're practicing, I've got to really coax him along to help teach him new techniques where right you've talked about ember. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, in the field, um, well, in the water, I haven't really field hunted her at all. Uh, She's a little on the short stature side to bring her out in the goose field. Uh, I think it'd be a little bit hard for her to handle, so mainly what I've done is uh, ducks in the water for her, and man, once she hits the water, she's like a rocket, and she's on a mission. She goes out, I think, I've hunted her hard for two years, this past season was a little different. In Michigan, for me, I I spent more time goose hunting, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But at any rate, um, her hitting the water is like a torpedo, man, that thing. She goes out, she comes back. There's only been one time she's not brought the duck back. Yeah. And uh, that one was... I won't forget it because it was really disappointing because <laughs> <laughs> before that she was shooting a hundred and now I don't know what her rate is, but at any rate, it was a really good sized mallard, knocked it down. Um, wasn't fully dead. It was still flapping around. And I think that was on one of her first encounters with, a uh, not fully alive, but, um, you know, not fully dead yeah. bird. Yeah. Um, she's retrieved, ring necks that are still partially alive and things like that not had a problem with it i think it was just the size of a mallard flapping around and trying to get after her and get away from her it kind of freaked her out a little bit but yeah um, other than that experience man she has been one heck of a dog for waterfowl hunting
0: yeah and she is the same thing with gauge he had he had a little bit of apprehension on big geese early on until he learned how to pick them up and mm-hmm. all that, it can it can it takes them a little bit time. It's a learning curve, right? I think with them when they get on birds like that and oh yeah, you know, so it it's cool because this is something Jeff and I once we got into waterfowl, it's something we always talked about is both of us having a dog and breed breeding those dogs, and so the hope is to get a good litter and see what colors they throw. Yeah. It's hard to say, um, but
1: Ember comes from. I believe a litter
0: of all three colors, yeah, and, and gage was all black, right gage, his dad was chocolate, okay, and his mom was black lab, yeah, so in his litter there were there there were it was all all black, and yeah, I think it was all black and then there were two yellows. Oh really?
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, colors is one thing I'm really interested in temperament because they're vastly different between Gage and Ember. Yeah. Um, Ember is an amazing family dog. Um, I've got a one and a half year old girl and Ember loves hanging around playing with her and doing all that stuff. Um, they're just, you know, gauge is pretty laid
0: back where ember's pretty high energy so <laughs> yeah yeah so we're hoping that we'll find a middle ground between those mm-hmm. guys that you know always want a good family dog obviously a good waterfowl dog but that the temperament might be where gauge lacks a little bit in the drive department and maybe ember has overdrive <laughs> <I couldn't say laughs> we, could, <that. laughs> we could get right kind of smack dab in the middle or yeah. something so
1: it'll yeah. be kind of cool it will be interesting i'll be be neat to see how many she. This will be her first breeding, so it'll be interesting to see how many she can produce, and then just kind of yeah, how they turn out. So yeah. pretty excited all around. Um, bit nervous, like Brian said, never done it before. So I mean, birds and bees, you know, it's kind of
0: straightforward, mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, and I haven't been a part of too many dog breedings. Uh, just a couple that I've seen take yeah. place, and they're a di- it's a it's a different process. So uh,
1: yeah, well, and I'm in for an exciting spring. I mean, should I, I? I also have a a boy on the way. My wife is pregnant. That's because, right. You know, I don't want to be bored at all this year. So,
0: <laughs> so you got one. We well, got one toddler. You got another boy on the way, and then you yeah. got a litter of pups. And, and then we're gonna hopefully
1: have a litter of pups a couple, a <laughs> couple months or a month after. Um, my wife has the boy. So yeah, it'll be a busy couple of weeks. Busy here. household. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, one thing we wanted to get into today, this is kind of the reason we met up. We thought, well, we should sit down and do a podcast if we're going to be, up, be able to meet up. Like we said, Jeff lives in Michigan and of course I'm in Minnesota. And we don't get yeah. to see each other as often as we'd like nope. this season of life, but we wanted to sit down and right. talk a little bit.
1: And as of right now, I think I've only recorded one other
0: Yeah, the podcast. Boundary Waters. Yeah. Yep. So. You probably heard Jeff on the Boundary Waters podcast if you've been listening and So it'll be nice to be back on air, as we can say. Yeah, yeah. And the goal is to get get you on more often because it's good having conversations with you. But we wanted to kind of take the next maybe 20 minutes to talk about your waterfowl hunting season. Joe and I just did a 2018 hunt recap a a couple episodes ago and wanted to kind of get a recap of your waterfowl season because you kind of you know you've talked early on when we started this you talked to me often and to other people that we came into contact with that your your kind of obsession into it found its home with waterfowl
1: yeah it definitely molded its way that way yeah yeah um like if you've heard of the boundary i won't get too deep into it but uh started off younger being outdoors all the time but then um when I moved to Kentucky and met you, Brian, that's kind of when I really got into the stride of hunting for a uh, whitetail. And through that met another buddy who got me kind of introduced into waterfowl. Uh, so the three of us would go out time after time and not really do anything but hang out. We shot a few birds here and there. but Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, when we moved to Minnesota, uh, Brian, the year before I That's when I really got into the stride of just passionate about waterfowl. Still love deer hunting, still love chasing the whitetail. Been out on a couple of western hunts with Brian. Uh, My goal is, you know, to try at least get out and do a western hunt every other, or every three years. You know, whatever I can. Like I said, I leave a pretty busy lifestyle i try not to sit around too much yeah uh but anyway yeah so my main pursuit is after the uh, fine feathered friends we're gonna <laughs> I, I always tell people i try to cancel as many flight plans as i can so awesome. I'm, I'm a cheese ball at heart too it, it, so that's all right. dad jokes are welcome oh yeah well, i'm a dad now a dad, so. so you can tell them you got free reign to tell oh, yeah. dad jokes now so yeah my season um it didn't look like it was going to start out all that great um And then it turned into a pretty decent one. Uh, Got to say the least. (laughs) I got a good line on some fields for goose hunting. Um, I was actually more intent on striving after ducks this year. Uh, This is my second season ever hunting Michigan for waterfowl, uh, last year being my first, because we just moved back to Michigan after about an eight and a half year stint of being away. Um, So I'm basically new to waterfowl hunting in michigan i've never done it till last year and last year was a total learning curve and this year yet again was because um minnesota where you and i hunted the most was small inland lakes on bogs
0: yeah yeah
1: and so around michigan it's a lot of moving waterways um not hardly any bogs standing in cattails, not standing on cattails, hoping you don't fall through, (laughs) which is, it's a lot nicer. (laughs) I don't have to worry about my life quite as much every time I go out now. Sure. Um, So yeah, duck season, we started off with early teal and um, that was okay. Um, My first outing, I thought that was going to be awesome for the rest of the season. Got out my first shot, just railed one, dropped it totally out of the sky nice the guy I was hunting with I hunted with him a couple times last year he looked at me was like holy smokes I was like yeah holy smokes I was kind (laughs) of you know I I knew I pulled a good beat on it but I didn't know it was that good and then the second one come in did the same thing to that and then after that it kind of all went downhill (laughs) for early teal so it kind of didn't turn out to be the greatest season um where we went like I said, it's all new to me. Um, now that I've been there, I kind of get a feel better for it. It's it's a hunted area. It's easy access, so people get into it pretty easy. Mm. Um, you're basically a channel away. You you dump the boat in a boat launch, go across a channel, and then it's a bunch of cattails and stuff. So finding the pockets is not easy. Yeah, It's getting across the channel, and it's just right there. So it's pretty easy to get once you know where you're going. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of how teal season went. And then I think there's a week span. So Michigan is split into three zones. There's a north, a middle, and a south. I live right on the border of the middle and the south zone.
0: That's kind of nice.
1: It is because as the south zone ends, the middle middle zone starts yeah. for a regular season. So I basically didn't have a lapse in, in waterfowl at all this year, Nice. which is kind of nice. And then the other learning thing too is I'm used to Minnesota, where for the first was it two weeks you can't use um, automated motion decoys. Yeah. You can only use wind Electric, driven or right. man powered motion decoys, so yeah, like jerk cords to... and things like that. Yeah. I think it's the first two weeks. Yeah, I think so. You're right. I think... That to me, like I still have my wind driven mojo, and all of guys look at me like I'm a weirdo because <laughs> they're like what is that thing? A lot of them, they're like, they haven't either seen it or just don't care about it because there's no point in it. In Michigan, you can use motion, like motorized motion decoys all season. Whenever you want, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of nice. A lot of the guys I'm hunting with, they're running a couple mojos, um, things like that. Uh, I am actually looking at not Using any mojos, I think they're overused, and I think I'm going to start using more, like, water motion-type decoys where, like, Higdon's got their pulsators, things that are, like, splashing and flashing on the water. Okay. Not necessarily up in the air. Um, okay. I think those things are kind of running their course. Birds are getting used to seeing them, and if you talk to anybody that knows anything, a lot of—I I try to study as much as I can, and a lot of guys are saying they're looking for rippling water. Hm. Okay. So— it's a, and I actually, this is going to go off target a little bit, but I actually considered, I don't know if I could sell all my decoys, but I considered running a full coot setup huh. for the season because okay. I've always wanted to try that Yeah. because the other thing to look at is coots, geese, they're comfort birds for ducks. So if they see a whole bunch of coots, I've heard that they like to go there because they know it's safe.
0: Sure. That makes so. sense.
1: Yeah, so that's something I've been interested in trying. But back to season, um, I don't know,
0: is there anything specific that you wanted? Well, just in in regular duck season, because I know you got into some geese for sure. Was that just during general waterfowl season? Yeah,
1: that was. um, We hit a couple early goose season hunts. Um, Our first one was ridiculously successful. I think we're one away from a... Three-man limit, which would have been 15, so I think we brought home 14, Wow, which is pretty good because um, I'm, like I said, I'm fairly new to waterfowl. Uh, I was always kind of the blind stuffer in Minnesota. When we hunted with the guys that you and I hunted with, um, we relied on them to know the locations, how to get birds in and decoy setups Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So um, I tried to glean as much as I can from them while I was hunting, Um, and now a lot of the guys I hunt with look to me because they know I supposedly have the experience and the knowledge.
0: Sure, sure. So
1: I'm trying to live up to that, but I don't by any means. Um, so the first hunt we did really well, and we actually didn't even use layout blinds. Uh, the the farmer I know that allows us to hunt his property, he purposely leaves uh, three or four rows here and there through the field of standing, full standing corn. Oh, man. So we sat in those. Um, like I said, first time, just slaughtered them. The next outing was not quite as successful. It turned into be a bluebird morning. I think the wind shifted on us different from what we thought it was going to be. Uh, the way the sun was coming in, they saw us every time they came over top of us. So okay. it wasn't quite as good. Uh, so a learning experience. Yeah. Like I said, this year's a huge learning curve. So we learned from that one. Um, Looking at the weather for the next one, we actually tried it again, probably shouldn't have. We had two guys in layout blinds on the corners. We had a couple more hunters this time, Yep. thinking that maybe we could lay them out, and then we would just actually just sit on the ground in the corn. Um, so I think the that week we almost every day spotted 200 to 300 geese in the field, and wow. we sat up on their X. Well. Geese being geese, they decided to go in. And this was a 150-acre field, by the way. Okay. So we knew right where they were going to be. We knew exactly how to set up on them. We we had a great spread. Uh, The next day, you know, like I said, we go out to hunt. They sat in a 13-row, probably 200-yard strip of corn in a neighboring field surrounded by grass.
0: That's how that (laughs) goes.
1: (laughs) so weird. So... They they didn't even come close enough to see us. They gave the field a look, but you could tell they were on a plan. They were, yeah. they were definitely going there no matter what. Uh, all the guys I hunted with were like, what the heck's going on? Why are they going over there? What What's happening? I said, hey, they're geese. <laughs> and
0: it's hunting. It's Yeah. That's why it's called hunting, not killing, <laughs> right. as an old wise <laughs> oh, yeah. hunter that we know would say to us all the time. Yep. So, I mean, that
1: was that. That was a really disappointing morning because just the spread that we had and knowing they were going to be there, and then all of a sudden they just decided not to be.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, um So, yeah, so that was early season. I think we got out one or two more times. But anyway, um, regular season came about. We went out duck hunting a few times. I unfortunately was not able to bring Ember along with me a whole lot because the guys I hunt with for ducks they like to stand in water. Okay. So I don't have a stand for Ember yet. Um it's my goal for this fall hopefully to get one. Get,
0: yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that that uh you definitely had for geese anyway, had a had a extremely successful season. And for ducks too. Joe mm-hmm. Joe had some luck this year like i said i didn't get out as much just with other because of other things i had going on but um it was really cool for me to see you know kind of you go from minnesota where we hunted together a lot and specifically with some guys that knew what they were doing then you go out to michigan and be successful it was cool to see that when you'd post something on instagram or send me pictures i I thought to myself man that's awesome jeff took what he learned and you've always been that way since I've known you that you catch on to things quickly and you pay attention and you your attention to detail kind of guy so I really didn't expect anything else but it was just <laughs> cool to see it happen because you know how anybody listening to this podcast that hunts you know how hunting can be mm-hmm. and especially there's there's learning curves to all of it but learning curves in waterfowl are pretty steep And, um, from, from many experiences that we've had, it just seems to be that there's so many moving parts and there's so many options to choose from that it can make it, it can make it difficult. And it was cool to see you put, put it all together a few really good times there.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I was um, going to say, I think out of the whole season, we did a lot of hunting, I think for geese, especially, I don't remember if we ever met a duck limit. Okay. I think we might, like, if we had three guys hunting, I think we might have gotten a one-man limit. Okay. A couple times. Yeah. So ducks, we weren't doing so good. Geese, that was a different story. Like I said, I got really lucky, um, got in line with a good family friend farmer that I've known since I was a little kid. um, And the birds, for whatever reason, always wanted to be in their fields. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. got spoiled this year yeah. <laughs> it, they made me look better than i am i <laughs> yeah. can tell you that so for um for geese i think we did probably three or four very successful hunts where we got nice every limit that we could that's awesome um one weekend in particular which i think is the one that you're probably thinking of where we really slayed them yeah. was um the first day we hunted it was a totally stripped field. It still okay. had like some random stand um, cut corn in it, but they reseeded it already for their winter crop, so it was a dirt field basically. Okay. And there's probably 500 birds in that field.
0: Goodness Like sakes. For
1: a full week. And we, we watched them every day from like Tuesday until Friday night.
0: That's awesome.
1: So we'd have guys go during the day, and then I'd, I'd run up there almost every night after work, and you could literally watch them day by day progress through the field. That's cool. So, so you
0: knew kind of where they were going to be on Oh, yeah, on but field. they were
1: stretching to the end of the field. So we were really nervous that they were going to do that again and not, not be there be Saturday. There. Sure. But Saturday, they were there. Um, Inexperienced again. We didn't really know how to hide ourselves that well in a dirt field, which it's not easy anyway. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I think there were four of us, and we scratched out a two or a two-and-a-half-man limit which okay. still not bad. Yeah. Um everyone was a little bit discouraged because of how many birds are just in the area. Yeah. Um and then the next that night I had to make a errand run up to my parents or something I remember. And I was just kind of like, well, I'll just swing past the fields and see, you know, if they're coming back cuz we didn't really spook them out a whole lot and with there's that many birds that they're going to be in the area still.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: So, um, and so I came back through and just our luck, uh, they were in the next door field, which happened to be the owner's field also. Okay. And this one was actually full cut corn. So it's a lot easier to hide. Sure. Uh, We ended up hunting actually a grass corner of the field next to a tree line. Okay. And then put all of our decoys kind of spread out. From that grass line into the cut corn, which when I saw them the night before, that's what they were doing. And there were more birds than what we had seen all week. Okay. So it was pretty insane. I think that's Sunday morning. I mean, it's hard to count or get any kind of average, but I'm guessing there was anywhere between seven and 800 birds in the air. Whew. Yeah, so that's what I said. That's fun that, to watch. They made me look better than what... <laughs> yeah <laughs> than what we were yeah so at any rate yeah that morning i'm trying to remember how many we had i think we had six hunters five hunters something like that and we definitely got our limit that morning wow yeah it that's was a bunch it was insane that's so that's super cool that's michigan regular season is three apiece. so you do the math i mean we did pretty good for yeah. that that morning that's great and that was a fun one um perfect weather all morning and then as soon as we were done it started downpouring mm. in a clay field Oh. So,
0: so it was a messy cleanup. It
1: was a messy cleanup, and we had a lot of walking to do because you're not driving trucks into a a clay field right. that's getting just downpoured on. Right, right. So Crazy. Yeah, so that was a really good hunt. Um trying to remember if there's anything else specific that stands out. Um, definitely been practicing my goose calling a lot more um, all yeah. summer long. I think I'm going to sign up for... Uh, bad grammar. They've mm-hmm. that I've got the DVDs that were produced years and years ago, but now I guess they've done an online thing that's a little easier to use. Okay, because I can't practice my goose call when my wife's around. Drives her crazy. Yep. If anybody has a significant Turkey, other,
0: goose duck hunting <laughs> that is not something to do while the wife's in the mm, house. No. I do it when I'm driving. I try to yep. do it when I'm driving with oh, well turkey diaphragms a little bit easier a goose call mm-hmm. when you're driving. Sometimes you got to use your hands. It's
1: it's a little challenging, but um I'll pull on I won't watch them, but I'll put on YouTube videos because yep. it's really difficult to type in Pandora like goose calling. I don't think there's <laughs> anything on Pandora. If you know of anything, or let Apple me know. Apple Music. <laughs> yeah, Apple Music. So, I think I'm going to sign up for that subscription that way all summer long I'm just going to start hammering
0: on my call while I'm driving around. Yep yep yeah that's I about well we're coming into February um right now while we're recording this, probably when we release it, it will be definitely be in the in the middle of February. You guys are listening to this now in the middle of February. I'll have definitely started practicing on my on my diaphragm turkey call on mouth calls to just oh, yeah. get get dialed in for spring. It just takes you some time to get back in the rhythm mm-hmm. and then really try to get. All of all the bugs worked out before turkey season comes in and give you a couple months to really work and yep uh, with any kind of calling that is to just make sure that that 's the thing, and we 've talked about it so many times if you're if you 're blowing a call, especially when you 're hunting with other people, mm-hmm. know that you can blow it. One of the guys that we hunted with before it was just such it was like magic, oh yeah, and it was funny because and and his name was Bill Clough, and he was just an incredible caller d- ducks mm-hmm. and geese yeah and, he he was like the pied piper with mice yeah i mean turned, isn't that the guy that would play the flute and the mice would follow him i or think whatever? so i think so yeah he was <laughs> he was like that he was uh many many a flock turned oh, yeah to to the to the call and it was fun to watch that so it kind of yeah. gave you confidence to think boy well if i really put the time in and practice yeah i can i can get to that point point. And, and he's He's
1: what a little younger than you, mm-hmm. so yep. late twenties, early thirties. Probably he's yeah. He's been hunting since he was a little kid, so he's got a couple years on us. Yep. with yep. experience. So,
0: but he's one of those annoying guys who picked up a call and didn't <clears throat> yeah. watch any videos and just started blowing on it. Right, and somehow right became so, so good naturally
1: being that brian and i like to study and try to figure things out we'd ask him all the time what so what are you doing with your mouth how's your tongue what, operating yeah things what's like, your tongue doing what yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know i just do this and then he makes this call and it sounds awesome i don't know <laughs> like, i don't
0: know well it's thanks r- for the help <laughs> it's annoying it's kind of like though it, it's kind of like people that are good at sports Like me with basketball, it was something I picked up really fast. Mm -hmm. And people would ask, well, what are you doing? Well, I just am doing it. I'm doing whatever I see. Yeah, he's got
1: a lot of natural ability. and that's Just to see how he reads the birds, too, is is pretty impressive. So that's one thing um, I like to think that I'm decent at, too, is reading birds. To be able to tell when they're going to come over or just leave them alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that's the last thing I want to do. Uh, is blow out birds yeah get them i don't like educating birds i've hunted with some guys that in early season they're blowing calls at ducks that aren't you can't even hunt yeah and then they'll get them to fly over because they're stupid well now they're not you've educated them because Mm -hmm. they hear your call they come over top
0: of you they see you and now you've educated that bird. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's in every kind of hunting. There's so many what's so cool about hunting to me is there's so many details behind the scenes and in the off season mm-hmm. that you are that you're working on, but then when season comes in, you continue to work on them. Right. You know, like I I would say when you when you talk about reading birds, probably the most familiar animal for me in reading body language and, and tendencies are white tails yeah. for me. Cause that, that's the one I've definitely spent the most time with. And you, right. you learn that, but behind the scenes on the off season is shooting your bow, weighing your mm-hmm. arrows, testing broadheads. To, you know, right. all the things that go along with hunting. And that, to me, that's one of the cool things is that really, I need to do a better job of probably focusing on other things at times, yeah. but for the most part during the day, I'm thinking about hunting. Oh yeah. Or for or sure or backcountry something. <laughs> Experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes it it makes it a, a great hobby to have and so much to learn. That's the other mm-hmm. cool thing about it is we're never going to learn all of no. any of any no. of this about any species or anything we're hunting. So yeah. it's it's an endless book of knowledge. Right. You know, and some and, of it can only be gained in the field. That's oh, the cool thing. For sure. You know, somebody can tell you something. Mm-hmm. But then, when you experience it, you usually yeah. don't forget it,
1: right? That, that's for sure. And one thing, like with calling, reading animals, whatever you're pursuing, um, hiking, the one of the big things too is, and I think there's a lot of people out there. I'm not telling, saying that anybody's not doing this or anything, but is studying, doing justice for whatever you're pursuing, whether it be a certain animal or just hiking in the backcountry. Um, learn your I don't want to say trade, but learn what you're trying to experience Mm -hmm. so you can enjoy it more and then you'll understand and have a better respect for what you're pursuing. Yeah. And that way, um, basically looking forward to the future for generations to come, you'll be a a prime example.
0: Yeah. Pay Um, attention to the small details. That's something I'm working through right now. uh Uh-huh. Trying to not just look at the overarching theme of what I'm doing or what hunting is to me. But focusing in on the details and those details create kind of a fullness in the, in the experience mm-hmm. i feel like so it's yeah. kind of cool
1: because i i kind of look at it threefold you owe it to the animal that you're pursuing the respect that they deserve to study up to practice on your call to practice on using your weapon whatever it be a shotgun bow rifle yep. you know what yep. have you um and then you owe it to the upcoming generations yeah and yeah. so, I mean, I don't want to get philosophical. I know or anything, it for yourself, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: To not be, to not always be disappointed because you're not progressing right. in your yeah. craft.
1: Yeah. So, so. Um, and that's why I this summer will really hunker down and start working on my goose call because. That's how I look at it. It's not something that I can just, oh, yeah, I I, I practiced for two weeks before season started, and I think I'm okay. Right, right. No, I, I need to study not only how to blow it, but why. Yep. I think that's the big thing is, like, why and when? Because duck calling, I've hunted with some guys that don't even own duck calls, mm-hmm. and they say it's mm-hmm. all about your decoy spread, which yeah. I can't disagree with. Or
0: being aware they are. Right. Yeah. Especially in certain times of the season Mm -hmm. you know when when birds really start migrating it's kind of nice to be able to get their attention at times but with a call but even even at that being where they want to be right and and fooling them with with the presentation i think is a is a big deal from all the really good waterfowl guys i've talked to that's that's a a big deal you know
1: so yeah and that's the other thing with putting your time in you don't get mad at the birds when they don't show up yeah because
0: Probably it's your fault. Yeah, and they're just <laughs> yeah. and they're trying to live too. All right, these animals are trying to live, and they're really good at living. Oh yeah, you know they put up with a lot more hardship than we do as people. Mm-hmm. So they're good at it. So that's yeah. uh, that's a, an aspect of it to me that's cool. Yeah, I've gotten to the point now in my hunting career, and not everybody's here. But in in my my hunting time of when when a deer comes within bow range, and then somehow gets out of bow range without me getting a shot shot opportunity i almost applaud yeah right if it's a doe <laughs> yeah. if it's a 10.170 inch monster then i'm just Cry. downright mad right but you better get or your or hanky crying. out yeah that's right
1: <laughs> yeah so. so and and kind of in that same vein i did go out i didn't get out bow hunting this year unfortunately another year snuck by without me Bill to chase whitetail with my bow i did get out for rifle season um i had them track down right exactly where they were gonna hike through and then i had to have been a week before season they totally changed their pathways so i had a heavy heavy trail coming right in front of my stand and then all of a sudden not yeah so whitetail season was very disappointing for me for rifle season. Well. I didn't even see a deer. Yeah. <laughs> that was the and worst part. And that's tough.
0: You can only do so much. Oh, yeah. You, know, you can I, only concentrate on so much. It's hard to
1: invest into that kind of stuff when you're just so hardcore after waterfowl. Yeah. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to do a disservice to whitetail by not studying them out enough before season
0: yeah then then sometimes you just get lucky like i did this year right my one and only sit produced a <laughs> nice buck and yeah it's all she wrote for me sometimes it happens sometimes <laughs> you know, be the most frustrating and seem to be the easiest and most frustrating thing at times you know it just oh yeah it's really interesting how, how it works like that but yeah i suppose we're running up we just wanted to run up on time here we just wanted to talk at you guys a little bit, Jeff and I, and, and definitely have both of us sitting here and especially kind of Jeff sharing a little bit more just because it's a little bit, it's a few, few and far between that he gets the opportunity to be on as of right now. But I gotta start heading back towards Minnesota. I've got yep. about four and a half hours. You've got about five and a five, half? five and a half five and a half. Well,
1: it all depends on what Chicago wants to do to me. Oh, That's yeah. the worst part about this trip. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so So I'm gonna grab Gage. Yeah. I'll I'll bring him over here. We'll throw him in the back of the truck with all of his his overnight satchel. That's yeah, right. That and, sounds good. And send him with you. Um
1: yeah, so On an end note, too, and I don't know if you've done this in the other podcasts that maybe haven't aired yet or whatever, but to end out, and I know we've talked about it in the past, um, checking out our website, but also wanting to hear your stories. Um, Mm -hmm. You've heard, I guess, the three of ours, how the season has gone now, Joe, Brian, and myself, um, what's happening in your neck of the woods, you know? How how did your season turn out? Was it something awesome? Was it something like I learned this year? Was it something that you've learned over the course of the season? Um, and then I don't know, cuz even just an update or pictures, you know, maybe you were like Brian, and you were able to get lucky and shoot a nice buck that you're really proud of or if you shot a doe and you're really proud of, you know, what whatever your trophy is. I mean, that, the 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 definition of a trophy animal, I believe, is up to each individual, I don't think. Absolutely. You know, yep. I, um, yeah, there's Boone and Crockett and things like that. And those are trophy class things. But someone I once heard talking about, um, and I I believe this, that every animal to me is a trophy because mm-hmm. I bring that home and it provides food for my family.
0: Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And to, to echo what Jeff's saying, we have a, a page on our website specifically created for that for you to share your stories with us we'd love to hear them uh if you can it helps us out to we're just putting this out there you know we don't get paid to do this we're creating this content kind of of our own initiative because we really feel it's important to share these stories we want to share ours and we want to hear yours so uh, Mm -hmm. if you can uh subscribe give us a rating and review on itunes for the podcast comment let us know what you're up to. Let us know the ideas you have, or maybe questions or comments about about what we've got going on. We we really want to hear back from you guys. So yep, thanks again, and we're gonna sign off. And maybe maybe here in a week when we come back together, we'll sit down again. Yeah, that would be talk a bad Talk about scene. how things went. <laughs> Could be a little graphic. Yeah, I don't maybe know we'll, we'll skip out on it. We'll keep it PG. <laughs> yeah, we don't want it X rated. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Well, thanks again for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one take care original music for this podcast was created by nakoda rankin this podcast is edited mixed and mastered by nakoda rankin